Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right, we want to welcome everybody online listening from home and uh, listening to our podcast. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Guest services will put a Bible in your hand. And uh, if you're at home, you want to get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Genesis. We're going to cover, get this, chapters 45 through 50. 45 through 50. I promise I'll have you home by midnight. And we're going to get done with this book, but uh, I do want to say this. I am so thankful for Pastor Craig and all the other pastors that have been teaching and leading this church. And, you know, that's, that's the beautiful thing about having many pastors on staff. And so thank you. Thank you, pastors. And thank you, all of you, supporting them. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing because this church is not about one man, is it? It never will be. It's about Jesus, and we all get to serve together. And you guys are doing a great job with that. So thank you so much. Um, Let's do a recap, and this is more for me, because I've been on vacation, uh, so I need, I need a recap. Maybe you don't, but it's been two weeks since we've been in Genesis, so maybe you haven't been here two weeks ago or not following along with the series and you're listening. I just want to kind of say this. There's a couple things that we learned in the last teaching two weeks ago, and I just want to remind you that we learned that in order to walk in God's will— In order to walk in God's plan, we need to draw near to Him. We need to draw near to Him. We need to give an account to Him. We need to be transparent before Him. Now, why is that so important for us? Because if we spend our life as a Christian trying to hide certain areas of our life from God, how how does that work? We think we're fooling God, but we're really not fooling God. Um, God knows, he sees, he loves us. He, he knows we're not perfect. And so God's desire, as we talk about this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's never a religion. It's a relationship. And so I found that if I can give a short account to God and at least be transparent before him and say, God, I messed up. I yelled at my wife. I lost my temper with my kids. I made this wrong decision this week. I regret this. Anybody with me? Or am I just the only one that has those conversations, right? But the the key is, in order to really enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ, is to, number one, know his character, right? you got to know the character of Christ because he's a forgiving, loving God. He did that on the cross for you and I. So the sooner we get on board with, hey, I messed up, I need help. We confess. We give a short account to the Lord. And this is what we learned last uh, two weeks ago. And this means that we have to be honest with God. And this means that we need to be honest with ourselves. It means that we need to confess our sins to him. And we need to keep a short account. Because after all, Jesus Christ, the birth of whom we celebrate on Christmas, is our great forgiver. He's our Savior. If we don't keep a close account, then we know, and we talked a little bit about this, we know that guilt can play a devastating role in our lives. And we know that guilt, if we don't keep a short account with God, it can breed in our hearts and in our 
minds. And as we looked at the life of Joseph and his brothers, you remember, and his family, we see that that's exactly what has happened over the last couple chapters, right, church? We see that there's been a 20-year secret. We see that this secret has been hidden. And we see that the brothers of Joseph have not given a short account unto the Lord. What did they do? They lifted the carpet up, and they tried to what? Sweep it under the carpet. No one will know. It's our little secret amongst how many brothers, right? And that's what has been going on. Now, that's fine and dandy. I've done that in my life. I know many of you have. But let me tell you something. There's a word called guilt. Look up on the screen. This is what we learned. Guilt is a condition that can be used both by God and Satan. Now, I want you to understand that I didn't say guilt is from God. Don't misunderstand me. Bless you. Don't, guilt is also not from Satan. But remember, we learned that God uses guilt for our good. And, and, and we demonstrated that two weeks ago. But also, Satan always uses guilt to hinder, block, or discourage us from following God's plan. As I say that, some of you are quietly saying amen. Because you've seen God use guilt in your life for your sin, unconfessed sin, to draw you closer to him in, in your timing and sometime in his timing. And we also know that Satan can pollute our mind with feelings of guilt, okay? And so that's what we learned last week. If you miss any of our Wednesday night services, don't forget you can always subscribe to our podcast channel um, and you can listen to this whole Genesis series or you can find it online at, at our website. But I've asked you to turn to chapter 45. We're gonna begin in verse one. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 45, and then I'm going to quickly just, just kind of rifle through the rest of the chapters for some highlights. You can read the rest of this on your own as your devotion this week. But I want to bring you up to date. Remember, Joseph is with his brothers once again in Egypt. Remember, he sent them back home with the food. We're in a famine. He sends them back home with food. He says, bring the youngest brother back. And... And so they bring the youngest brother back, and now they're in this conversation. They're with him. They're back in Egypt. Now, remember that Joseph um, in, is in authority over the whole land, okay? He's second in authority, all right? There's Pharaoh. He's the, the king, but he's entrusting Joseph because of his character, his integrity, and his walk with God. Now, Pharaoh's not saying, oh, that's God in your life. Remember, he worships false idols, false gods. But he can identify that there's something different about Joseph. And because Joseph honored God the way he did throughout his whole life, he was recognized as being different. And God rewarded him. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But he is second in all the land, and he is in control of all the food sources during this famine. It's kind of like he's the vice president, okay, of this land. And so um, this is really what we've been waiting for. This is a highlight. This is why we have God's plan part three, because we're waiting. We're, we're waiting to see how is Joseph going to deal with truth in the lives of him and his brother and his father, and how is his brother going to respond? And we're going to see we're going to see the gospel message played out in chapter 45. So let's look at verse 1. Let's read it together. You with me? Okay. Verse 1. 
Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And so we see that there was probably his servants, you know, that were sitting around the table, and he's asked everybody to leave except for him and his brothers, and he finally says, hey guys, I'm your brother, I'm Joseph. Now think about that. I want you to think about 20 years, they never knew whether his brother was alive or dead. Obviously, they didn't recognize who Joseph was. Joseph was their younger brother. And so I imagine there's a lot of growth. He became a man, and he probably looks a little bit different. They never picked up on it. And he's now just revealing that he really is their brother. And so this is the moment where the truth, where the rubber meets the road. The truth will be exposed. Now, for Joseph... If you're in Joseph's shoes and you know the story, this is a time, this is a time you've been anticipating. Because if you've been following God and you've seen God at work in your life, this is a moment where, yes, he's hurting, but this is a joyous time for him because he's in control of everything and he can either give them food or let them die. Now, for his brothers, this is probably a moment of anxiety. Maybe a moment of fear. Maybe a moment of remorse. Maybe a moment of embarrassment. I, I imagine there's butterflies going through their, their stomach. Uh, you know, have you ever been in that moment where you're so paralyzed with fear that you just feel like, I'm going to hurl any moment, right? And this is, can you imagine the, the contrast between Joseph and now his brothers in that room? What I love is that he made everybody leave because I think Joseph wanted to be on an even playing field. I think he genuinely, he knows what he's going to do. God's already spoke to him. We're going to find that out. But he wants it to be intimate with him and his brothers. This is a 20-year reunion church. This is a big moment. And so look at verse 2. It says that Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And then he says this, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were what? They were terrified at his presence. First thing that I want you to write down tonight, this is really important and this is beautiful how the gospel is marched out, but we can discover the message of the gospel everywhere we look in the Bible. And I want to challenge you with that. There, there's, there's some of you in here that know the word. There's some of you that have been going to church all your life. As I say, the message of the gospel is everywhere you look in the word of God instantaneously, some of you, your minds are going right to the stories that you can see Jesus dead in the center of the story that anywhere throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament. What I love to do is I love to be a detective. I love to read the Word of God no matter what book you're in, and you try to see Jesus in everything. 
And this is a great example that verse 4 and 5 that we're going to read gives us a great picture of the gospel, but yet it also gives us a great picture of redemption. Redemption for the family that's been suffering. Look at verse 4. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. Now, I just want to know if he has a weapon in his... You know, usually they carry a knife here, right? And if you think they're terrified to the point where they can't speak, if he's got a knife in him, on him, they're definitely terrified. They don't know what he's going to do, but here's what Joseph says. He says, you know what, brothers? Come a little bit closer. And when they had done so, he said once again, I am your brother, Joseph. But look at the next four words. Will you repeat that for me all together? The one you sold into Egypt. I have it up on the screen, GM, the gospel message. The first thing in a gospel message in order to to understand redemption and salvation is, is that we need to acknowledge our sin. You know, for 20 years, as I told you, Joseph's brothers hid their sin instead of dealing with it. And Joseph and his brothers are in a place where they can no longer cover up. They can no longer ignore their sin. And they're in a place where they cannot deny it any longer. And you know that when you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He came into our life and we made Him Lord and Savior, the one thing that all of us had to do is that we had to acknowledge our sin before our God and our Creator. And that is a very humbling thing. And God knows exactly the place that He needed to take you, exactly what was in His life, to put you in a place where your heart and the posture of your heart is is humble before the Lord. We get to a place where we're at the end of our rope. We can't fix ourselves. We can't control the things. And the Holy Spirit illuminates our sin before the Lord. And it looks very different for each and every one of you. I want you for a moment to go back to that moment when you remember that you needed a Savior. Remember what that was like. For some, it was very emotional. It was revelational. But you were free. Anybody here feel a tremendous burden lifted off your life when you repented before the Lord and you were forgiven for all of your sins? What a beautiful moment that is. And this is what Joseph was trying to take. He's not Jesus. But Joseph was trying to take his brothers to that moment because he knew, just like Jesus knew us, God sent His Son because He loved the world and He died for our sins. But unless you and I acknowledged our sin, we cannot be in relationship. And Joseph knew that because of his brother's sin against him, he could not be in a relationship with him the way he wanted to be. Think about your relationships in your life tonight. Has someone sinned against you? 
Has someone continually sinned against you? Does it fracture your relationship? Do you desire to be in that relationship with them? Is it painful? Is there reconciliation? You see, there needs to be a humility in order to come to salvation. And Joseph knew this. This is why he had to point out to them, not only did he say, I'm your brother Joseph, but you sold me. And he calls their sin out. But notice the tone. He's not calling their sin out because he wants to condemn them. Just as Jesus met, we met with Jesus, he didn't call us out to condemn us. He called us out because we need to acknowledge that we needed a Savior. And Joseph says to them, I'm the one you sold into Egypt. I want to talk to you about two words tonight. I want to talk to you about conviction. And I want to talk to you about being caught. When we deal with sin in our lives, whether we are convicted or whether we are caught, we have a choice, and that is to come clean. Joseph's brothers were not convicted. They could have gone another 10 years. As long as that rug's not lifted up, no one knows. What Joseph's brothers experienced is that they were caught. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for about 22 years and been serving in the ministry for about 12 on staff. And I've talked to a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And what I found is that the difference between caught and conviction is that the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel right inside, if you have a burden inside and you experience no peace and you know that you're not walking right with the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit working on you. The Bible says that when we're walking in sin, that the role of the Holy Spirit is that it is to convict us. That's his role. Now, it's not fun, is it? But it's given to us as a, a gauge, a temperature gauge, a thermometer, if you will. And it's a warning within ourselves saying something's not right. You're not going to experience peace until you come to the Lord and you get right with God and you settle matters. It's where the rubber between you and the Lord meets the road. And so... The situation that we're going to see throughout this story is, is that it'd be really great if Joseph's brothers were convicted of, by God. But they got caught. And so Joseph is kind of just kind of tiptoeing into this because he doesn't know what the outcome is. And the brothers are kind of tiptoeing because they don't know if they're going to get killed. We'll see that all the way in chapter, I think, 48. And so, what about you and your life? Did you come to the Lord because you were caught? If you did, God used it. God, the Holy, here's how the Holy Spirit works. 
First of all, he's a gentleman, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, if the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity and God is love and Jesus died on the cross because of his love, would the Holy Spirit not be loving as well? Think about that. And so the Holy Spirit's a gentleman and he will speak to you quietly. He's not going to tell your neighbor, Colleen, to come and convict you, all right? That's probably not his first step, all right? And I'm picking on Colleen because I know her, and it's not personal. Um, he's not, he, he's a gentleman, right? And so I think what's important here is I've been caught in sin or a lie. I don't like it. I don't like it. It goes a whole lot better if I've been caught in, in a sin or a lie and the Holy Spirit works on me and he convicts me to the point where I have no other choice but to repent to the Lord and then settle up with my brother or sister or my wife or whoever it is. And, and it takes quiet time. It takes you to be consciously aware that the Holy Spirit works within you. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He'll be a gentleman for so long, and he'll speak to us, and he'll speak to us, and he'll speak to us, and he'll speak to us. And it's not that the Holy Spirit gets impatient. But remember, God hates sin. He doesn't hate us, but he does hate sin. And the Holy Spirit grieves when there's sin in our lives. And if we don't do something about it, if we're not tuned in to the Holy Spirit, if we're not responding to the Holy Spirit, then guess what happens? Furnace gets turned up a little bit. It's getting hot in here. Right? And we start getting anxious. And it's a tragedy when a brother or sister gets caught in sin. We see it all the time, don't we, church? You with me? I know you don't like talking about sin. It's all right. It's the last service almost. You got three weeks to recover. But why? Why does the Lord allow us to get caught in sin? Because he loves us. He doesn't want to make an example out of us. That's not the character of God. God loves us. He wants us to walk holy. You know the Bible calls you holy tonight? He says, be holy Therefore, I am holy. God loves us. He doesn't want sin in our lives. We see in this story that these brothers are now caught. Joseph catches them. And the second example of the gospel and redemption that we see in chapter 45 is in verse 5. Look what it says. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. The second thing that I want you to write down when we think about the gospel message is forgiveness is freely given. Forgiveness is freely giving. When you read verse 5, you see that Joseph is saying, Do not be distressed, do not be remorseful. Do not be guilty. What Joseph is saying is, God has already done the work in my heart. I have already forgiven you. Therefore, I wouldn't be standing before you. 
I've forgiven you, my brothers. And he's saying, don't be distressed. He says, don't be angry with yourselves. He doesn't want to burden them. He doesn't want to lay a guilt trip on them. And this is the very heart of Joseph. He says, don't weigh yourself down with guilt any longer. Let's lift the carpet up. Let's clean our mess up. And let's start in a fresh new house. Amen? And this is the heart of Joseph. This is the work of the gospel. When you and I think of Jesus Christ, this is a perfect picture of Jesus. He is more interested in a relationship with us because of his forgiveness for us. He's not here to condemn us, but he wants us to deal with sin. And he wants us to to receive his forgiveness freely. You know this verse. It brings me great joy. God says, I cast your sins as far as the what? East as to the what? West. That's the character of God when he deals with you and I in our sin. He doesn't remember our sin. Satan wants us to remember our past. Satan wants us to remember our mistakes. Satan wants us to remember our sin. But that's not of God. God says you're freely forgiven. Now, in verse 5, the rest of it, we see an example of God's divine purpose, therefore God's plan, part 3, God's plan. Look at five. the rest of verse 5. Because, Joseph's saying, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Next thing I want you to write down, GP, God's plan. God's plan is God's purpose for our lives. You know the story. You've been following along with me. God had a plan the moment those boys thought they would sell him to slavery. God says, you can do what you want to do with Joseph. Because you're man, you're wicked. But I've got a plan. And I'm going to use it. Look at verse 6. Joseph goes on to say, For two years now there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, remember God said there will be seven years of fruitful prosperity. He says, put away your food in the silos, right? And he says, that's what you need to do because there will be seven years of famine. We're now two years into it. And he says, look, there's, for the next five years, there will be no plowing, no reaping. But look at verse seven. What are the first two words? But God. Do you know how many times but God is in the Bible? I don't know, but there are a lot. But I like that, but God. In other words, whatever circumstances going on in our lives, we can say, but God. But God, that should bring us peace. Because what it is, it is kind of like this spiritual out. It's like, yeah, we're suffering this stuff. I don't like what's happening in my life. But God. And you can attach what you want to it. But God loves me. But God is with me. But God will never leave or forsake me. But God will be my Lord and Savior. But God will get me out of this. And Joseph is reminding his brothers in verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to what? 
to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know why I like verse 7? Because Joseph is openly and transparently sharing with his brothers his great understanding of the Lord's purposeful works in his own life. Even through Joseph's pain, separation, loss, rejection, and loneliness without a family, Joseph is a man who sees God and his work behind the scenes for a greater purpose in Joseph's life. That's who God is in our lives. Being one of the pastors of this church, we have been beside many of you that have lost a loved one, gone through a divorce. You name it. We've been beside you. Do you think it's easy to encourage you when you're at the darkest moment of your lives? In and of ourselves, we, we don't know what to say to you. Sometimes it's best not to say anything, but to be in your presence and to remind you, but God. And we encourage you that God has never left you, left you or forsaken you. But God, the two most powerful words, I believe, of encouragement in the Bible, but God. Joseph realizes this. I love Ephesians 2, chapter 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance to do. Do you know who gets it? Joseph. If, it wouldn't, if you wouldn't have done what you did to me, I would not be able to provide you life today in the middle of this famine. What a beautiful picture of God's great love and a divine plan for us when you think about it. God, too, sent his only son, Jesus, in advance to save our lives today. And Joseph gets it. I'm reminded of John 3, 17. You know 16. But look at 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. God prepared in advance to save us, church. Verse 8. So then it was not you. I love this. Again, grace to his brothers. Look, brothers. It was not you who sent me here, but who? But God. You see the encouragement Joseph is trying to give his brothers? He's trying to pull them out of the depths of guilt. He says, look, it's over. God had a plan. How do we move forward? Next thing I want you to write down, God's plan GP. God guides with our cooperation. God guides with our co cooperation. You know, I think it'd be a very different story if Joseph didn't love God and wanted to follow him in his life. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. You're the second in command in the United States and someone's wronged you deeply. You have the authority to do anything you want with them. You can act in the flesh or you can act in the spirit. And Joseph demonstrated his love for the Lord and is attentive to the Lord 
to be an example and a character of God towards his brothers. Look at the rest of verse 8. It's a little long. But Joseph continues. He said, He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son, Joseph, says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. Verse 11, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become desolate. Verse 12, you can see for yourselves. And so carry my brother Benjamin, that is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about the honor according to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother, Benjamin. Remember, that's his younger brother. And he threw his arms around Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping as well. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. That verse is a true picture of love and forgiveness on display. And it also brings closure in their lives. And it brings them to a new chapter in their lives. Look at verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you, get this, the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Verse 19, Pharaoh goes on. He says, you are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Next thing I want you to write down tonight, God's faithfulness and blessings follow us and to all of those around us. I want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect on your lives. Some of you have walked with the Lord a month. Some of you for a year, some of you for two years, five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years you've walked with the Lord. I want you to take a moment. No matter if you're in the valley tonight or if you're on the mountain and you've experienced the blessings of God, I want you to look at that blessing in your life. I want you to think about the richness and the favor of the Lord on your life. And when you have that in mind, I want you to thank him. Thank the Lord for what you have. You know, my wife and I spent a lot of time in the car, and my son's here tonight. And we said, we said to the three of us, we said, you know, the Lord has really blessed your mom and dad. And I believe I said, you know your mom and dad's not perfect but we've been faithful to the calling of God on our lives. 
We never said no to the Lord. We've said yes. And we've experienced a blessing and a favor. It's a tremendous privilege to serve the Lord. And and don't take your eyes off a pastor. This is just my personal testimony. But those of you that are serving, those of you that are leading, those of you that are impacting your neighbor, your relative, the, the woman at the gas station, the person that you're pouring into, whoever it is, you are a servant of the Lord of the Most High. And when God calls you to do something and He clearly tells you to do it and you've said yes, the blessings will overflow you. And I'm not talking financial blessings. Y'all didn't pull up in Cadillacs and Lexuses. Maybe some of you did. I want to rub shoulders with you and reap that blessing. But he pours favor on you. Yes, we have our ups and downs. Yes, we have hiccups. Yes, we deal with health problems. Yes, we have financial needs from time to time. It's just life. But it's deeper than that. There is a spiritual favor and fervent and blessing upon us. And so I just want to encourage you tonight, church. Say yes to God. Even if it's scary, say yes to God. And watch what he does. And when you say yes to God, as Joseph said yes to God in the midst of hardship, God will bless you. God will bless you, I promise you. It's a tremendous privilege to serve the Lord, but it's also a sacrifice. But it's one that we can make, can't we? And so where are you at tonight? Are you willing to say yes to God? Are you willing to experience the spiritual blessings that you can't put words to? It's almost like you're in this covenant with the Lord. And no matter what, he's with you. And you know it, and you can't explain it, but you're a servant of the Lord of the Most High. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood. You're an ambassador. There's royalty because we said yes to God. And we see that Joseph did this. God blessed him. Quickly turn to chapter 46. Chapter 46. Now we're going to speed up. Still with me? All right. Some of you are waiting on that blessing to fall on us, right? (laughs) Chapter 46, look at verse 2. Verse 2, and we're going to see how faithful God is to those who trust him in this story look at verse 2 and God spoke to Israel remember Israel is another name for Jacob and Jacob is the father of these boys and it says and God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said Jacob Jacob here I am he replied verse 3 I am God the God of your father he said do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there And I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. That's deep. Now, if you know the history, 
God spoke an awful lot to Jacob. God gave Jacob incredible promises. You would inherit all the land as far as you could see. Write this next thing down. God never breaks his promises and his faithfulness never fails. And I know this isn't anything new. We've, we've seen this all throughout Genesis, but God keeps his promises. And God will bless you. Now scroll down to verse 29 in the same chapter. 29, halfway through verse 29 if you're there. It says, And soon as Joseph appeared before him, this is now moving forward to where we know that God spoke to, to Israel, Jacob. Jacob has now come to Egypt. And this is a moment where it's a different scenario between family members. Remember, Jacob thought that Joseph was dead all these years. He has mourned and grieved and really never recovered from the loss of his youngest son. And this is a moment of redemption between Joseph and his father. And in verse 29, halfway through that verse B, it says, And soon as Joseph appeared before him, Jacob, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And Israel said to his son Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. What a beautiful picture, church, between God, a father, and his son. And none of this would have ever happened without Joseph's obedience to the Lord his entire life. Next thing I want you to write down, obedience produced reconciliation, which produced peace. You see that picture clearly. Obedience, reconciliation, peace. And I thought about that tonight as I was finishing up in my office at home and I just came back from vacation and I was like just trying to figure out what do we take away from this verse and this picture that we see? And you know, it's Christmas. It's a special time of year. The title of our Christmas Eve service is, is Hope Has a Name. I'm excited we'll have live pastors here teaching. All of us pastors are going to teach at all the services on Christmas Eve. But Hope Has a Name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus brings the message of reconciliation between the whole world and God. Jesus paid a price for that reconciliation. And as we end the book of Genesis, we see reconciliation in Joseph's family. And so I encourage you this Christmas season because the holidays is probably the one time a year where... The circumstance is going to put you in front of people you're normally not around. For some of you, it's family. And maybe this year, I would just ask you to reflect if there's any reconciliation that the Lord shows that you need in your life between you and a family member or a loved one. You need to address it. Don't wait. Circumstances, Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve, Thanksgiving, that's not by coincidence. 
if you have, if you're estranged with a family member, and you say, well, Pastor Dave, I, I've been down that road. It didn't work out. That's okay. Here's a couple things that I want you, and I challenge you to just pray to the Lord about. And I'm only speaking to you if you're estranged with a family member, you're feeling hurt and pain. I know this congregation. You've confessed, you've stood, you've raised your hand through this series. We prayed. But Christmas is a special time of year where you're going to put, God's going to allow you to be in front of somebody. And if there's any business that needs to be taken care of where the rubber meets the road, I encourage you to do three things. I have it up on the screen. I want you to begin to pray about reconciliation. Reconcile, what does that mean? Ask the Lord to open doors of communication through circumstances. You know, the holidays is a time where you got to call mom. You got to call dad. You got to call that brother. You got to call that sister. I ask you now, all month long, that if that's you, to ask the Lord to open up, open up and prepare your heart to be open to that. Make that phone call. Second, the next thing is forgive. Ask the Lord to prepare your heart to forgive the person or the situation. You know, Joseph and his brothers wouldn't have wept and embraced each other if, they, if he didn't prepare his heart to forgive. I know forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard in my life. There are family members that I have not talked to at the beginning, maybe not on purpose. And I realize that it takes two people in order for a relationship to happen. That dad, Jacob could have stayed in Canaan. But church, I want you to know, Jacob, the father, desired a relationship with his son. When he heard his son was alive, he ran. He came running to Egypt. Pray for that other person. Pray for that Jacob in your life that God would move on their heart and on that person's heart in your life as well. And then be ready to forgive and ask that God would prepare that other person's heart that's a strange, broken relationship with you, that God would prepare their heart to be forgiving as well. Last, pray that maybe this year would be different at Christmas time, that you would receive the peace that Jesus brings for this season. That's what Christmas is about. Peace. Can't put a price on it. You can't buy it. Only Jesus Christ brings peace. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Pray and ask Jesus to give you peace. And that God would reconcile your relationships just as we see in this story tonight. Quickly turn to chapter 47, the next chapter, verse 28. Because I think it, we need to give due diligence to the rest of this story so we know how it ends. 47, chapter 47, verse 28. It says, Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years more, and the years of his life were 147. And when the time drew near for Israel to die. So we see that God is a gracious God, and through obedience, 
Reconciliation was made between him and his family. There was a new chapter, and he got to experience it. That's the blessing in this family's life. Through their obedience, yes, God, I will do it. Scoot down to chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48, verse 11. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. You know, part of the blessings of reconciliation is is that not only does that relationship get mended, but a lot of other relationships get mended. Maybe I'm speaking to one person Maybe there's no one here tonight, but someone online is hearing this. There are blessings when we honor God and ask him to go before us and reconcile. And finally, chapter 50. Turn to chapter 50, verse 18. Chapter 50, verse 18. After their father Jacob died... And he was buried. Joseph's brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Church, that reminds me of one of your favorite verses, and you know this, it's found in Romans 8, 28. I hear you quote it. And we know, say it out loud with me, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. At the end of chapter 50, Joseph died at the age of 110. So what do you take away from this story? I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and that you would be faithful and bold to do what God tells you to do when you leave this place tonight. And I have a slide up here. This is kind of, kind of what we see in all through the book of Genesis And we see in 1656, the year of the flood, but we see the generations and and the title of this whole series was the beginning of God's story. And we started the book of Genesis, get this, on May 19th, 2021, this year. And it took us seven months to cover this book. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, that's what we do. We teach the Word of God verse by verse. And it's been fun. And it's been awesome. And we see God took ordinary people like you and I, and this is why we took it away. He used Adam. And we see this this heritage, line, lineage that God used. And many of these men that God used were just like you and I. That's what we've learned this whole series. God wants to use ordinary people for extraordinary things he used adam although adam sinned and seth 
And as you go down, Noah, before the flood, Shem, his son. And then we get into Genesis chapter 11, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the story of Joseph. Church, your name is on that graph in 2021. God is writing his story through your life. And God will use you in a mighty way. You need to believe that. The first chapter that I taught in this series was titled, Everything Begins with Belief. The last chapter, God's Plan. And this is what I want to say from the bottom of my heart. Every chapter between the first and the chapter tonight, God has grown you here on Wednesday nights immensely. God has grown you. We see the growth. Some of you has spiritually grown extraordinarily huge. And I think, I just want to say on behalf of the pastors and myself, we're proud of you. We love that you're hungry for the Word of God. And it is always going to be our desire at this church that at the end of the year, because we're at the end of the year, like it or not, it's flown by. For some of you, it's really flown by. (laughs) But at the end of the year, our desire, our preparation to study and to teach the Word of God in any one of these services is that the biggest reward that we could ever get, if we even need a reward, right? We can look at your life and you can say to us, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. That's the power of God's word in our lives. And every time we open the word of God, we can trust that God is going to grow us. And so as we close this season of Wednesday nights and we open it back up, I think January 6th or 7th, whatever, we'll be in a new book. I don't know what book it is. We're praying over it. Yeah, I know. Some of you want the book, right? But I just encourage you, stay with it. If you're a Wednesday nighter and this is when you can get here, keep coming. And we'll open up the book again next year and we will trust God that he will even grow us even more. Amen? Amen. I left, a, left this one thing I thought about. What is God doing in this church? And I thought about it a while. And here's what I feel like God wanted me to share with you. It's up on the screen. Here's what we know. We know a couple things about when we show up here together as as God's family. One, God will always inhabit the praises of his people. Number two, the Holy Spirit is present every time we open his word. That's a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit will teach us. And number three, we are not the same. So I feel like I want to close in prayer, and then I've got an announcement for Pastor Craig. And I know he's going to come in here, and and some of you can help us out. But let me just close this in prayer. And if you're with somebody and you came with them, why don't you grab that person's hand? If you know somebody in front of you, put your hand on their shoulder. But let's just go ahead and lay hands on each other, and let's just pray and thank God for what he's doing and what he's done on Wednesday nights. Sound good? Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, for some of us, we never thought the book of Genesis would have so much 
to learn from. Maybe this is the first time that, that many of us have even well, really gone through the book of Genesis. But Lord, we, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your word never falls void. We thank you that you use every word to teach us and to correct us and to encourage us, Father. God, I thank you for each and every person that calls Calvary Chapel Sebastian their church home. I pray that for each and every one of us pastors that we would be continued servants to those that you bring in this place. God, it's such a privilege to serve those that you bring to us. God, I thank you for the peace, the joy, the transparency that we can come in here and share with one another. That we're not above each other or below each other, but that we're doing this thing called life with you. For you are the only one that we worship in this place. Not a man, not a pastor, not a leader. God, I thank you that you choose ordinary people for extraordinary things. God, I pray that you would keep us healthy this month. I pray that you would reconcile relationships that need reconciled. God, I pray that your spirit would keep us strong in the world that we battle outside these walls. I pray that you would give us peace beyond fear, that fear is not from you. You are not a, a God who gives us a spirit of fear, but only of love and sound mind. We thank you for all that you're doing. We pray that as we leave this place tonight, that we know that we're loved, that we're forgiven, and that Calvary Chapel Sebastian could be a place that we would call home. Lord, we confess to you that we come in as we are, and we ask you to change us into new creations in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we're not the same. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.